Pet Care Rockstars is brought to you by... Do you have a pet care business but need a website? Well, look no further than the Pet Care Rockstars website solution. We can deliver to you a fast-loading, mobile-optimized website that's also SEO-friendly. Your customers will love our websites, and you'll love the affordability. We'll also give you all the tools you need to easily maintain your website, even if you have little technical knowledge. Go to PetCareRockstars.com slash websites now to get more information. Welcome to Pet Care Rockstars. Solid advice you can implement into your own pet care business today. Whether you're just starting out, getting ready to grow, or ready to scale. You'll hear firsthand from Pet Care Rockstars who've been down this path before, including what worked, what didn't, and some tools you'll need for your awesome journey. Now the host of Pet Care Rockstars, Dave Westwood. My guest had her first business selling bunnies when she was 12 years old and started her pet sitting business when she was 15. Instead of going to college, she chose to be an entrepreneur and take her pet sitting business to the next level. And today she has locations in Alabama and Tennessee. Not only has she expanded her business, Happy Hound Pet Sitting, to two states, she's done this while backpacking through Europe, trying and failing to fix an Airstream, traveling throughout the United States by herself in a van, and buying her own yacht, which she is sitting on right now. Uh, Catherine Cockrell, welcome to Pet Care Rockstars. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I am excited to have you because you have such an awesome story. Um, Honestly, I I can't do it justice. Um, I did mention in the intro, you started your pet sitting business when you were only 15 years old. Why did you start your own business at such a young age? It just came natural to me. I had been working at a local kennel for a little over a year, and I absolutely loved that job, but there were some changes in management, and the person that they put in charge of me was a really bad leader, to put it mildly. She made my dream job suddenly something I couldn't deal with anymore, so I put in my notice and was sitting at home and just really bummed because I really loved what I did, and got uh, got a lot out of working and being kind of self-sufficient and enjoyed interacting with the public and absolutely absolutely loved working with the animals. I am such a big animal lover that that means a lot to me. It, it brings me a lot of joy to be out there with the animals and hanging out and just getting to know them all each individually and it's, it's just something I love. It makes me light up. And I was just really missing all of that and was sitting there thinking and you know hanging out with my family dog Reggie and just, you know, wheels started spinning. Reggie was super neurotic and had terrible, terrible separation anxiety. And whenever we did take him to the kennel, it was a good kennel I worked at. It wasn't, there was nothing wrong with it. They did a good job. But whenever we would take him there, you know, when our family went on our odd, you know, vacation, he was miserable. He would come back. You could tell he was just not himself for several days. And we wound up having to medicate him to take him to the kennel because he was such a nut. And he was bad about not wanting to eat, not wanting to drink and just was miserable. And that kind of got me thinking, you know, I live in a really nice neighborhood. I wonder if I could start um, doing some pet sitting here. And I actually also turned my parents' basement into a kennel in our backyard into a dog park, where it was, it was just like a beginning stage is doggy daycare before doggy daycares were really a thing, especially in rural Alabama, where I'm from. It's, it's taken a little while to talk people into wanting to spend good money on their pets and think of them more as kids than pets a lot of times. You know, it's, it's a generational shift. My parents 
you know, my grandparents used to think of, you know, it's a dog, put it in the backyard, give it a stick, you're good to go. But times are changing where with youngsters like me, you're like, no, this is my kid. We love it. We want to take great care of it. We're going to take it to doggy daycare. We're going to get it a behavioral specialist. We're going to do all this crazy stuff with it. And sometimes our parents and grandparents look at us like we've got two heads and we're making an insane decision. Like, what are you doing? But it's just something we put a lot of love and energy into. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you've made lots of decisions. <laughs> We're going to go over that. I, and, you know, and there are a lot that probably people questioned you like, oh yeah, that's an insane decision. But, you know, I think a lot of them have turned out well. Um, so it's funny how things happen, right? I mean, you, you had a business previously selling bunnies when you were 12 years old, right? And, um, you know, but from there you went to work for the kennel and you had this really bad boss. If you had a really awesome boss and you never got this bad boss, do you think you would have ended up starting your own business and went that entrepreneur route? You know, life's funny. There's a lot of what ifs, but I don't know that I would have started my own business. I really liked that job and I could have seen myself working up to it and being happy, being management for them or potentially wanting to um, obviously not in that same city, but maybe later move somewhere else and more or less create that same type of work environment because I really enjoyed it. It was a great mix up. I got to work with the public. I was always learning and I got to have all these, you know, animals I interacted with all the time. So it had, a, it, it checked off the list of a lot of things that I really enjoyed. And honestly, in a lot of ways with my current business, I didn't recreate that same business, but I recreated the things that brought me joy and I really enjoyed. I brought that into my current business and kept those things in my life. But if I hadn't had that bad boss, I don't think I would have quit, but that's the way life goes. If you're not hurting, you're not necessarily growing. Very true. Very true. Um, well, to me, you know, starting a business at a young age, I, right now I have a, I have a 13 year old son um, and I encourage him. I'm like, you know, dude, you, you've got to do something like this, you know, <laughs> figure out something you want to do. He's a big Fortnite fan. I'm like, start a YouTube channel, do something creative. Um, he hasn't gotten there yet, but I think once he gets, you know, a little older, he might do that. Um, but you know, when you start a business at such a young age, um, I, I think there's a lot of people that don't give that teen or that young adult the respect that I, I think they deserve. Um, what were some of the challenges you had running your business as a teenager? I had a lot of challenges. Like you said, there was people who doubted me and discouraged me, but in the same token, there were so many people that me under their wing and went above and beyond and gave me just so much of their time, so much of their energy. They just poured their wisdom into me. I had teachers, I had coaches, I had family friends who really put a lot into me and gave me the tools to succeed. I mean, you, you have to take it on with yourself and fight to win and put forth all the effort and it's hard. It's an uphill battle. No one at business, no one's gonna 
hand you money and say, oh, good job. You're going to have to work really, really hard for it. And there's going to be a lot of reiterations and you're going to make mistakes and it's going to hurt. But I really, I really enjoy that challenge. It's a lot of fun for me. And I just, I had fun with it. And granted, there's people who encourage me. There was a time or two that stuff got really, really hard. And I wasn't sure if this is what I needed to be doing because I come from a amazing family. Both my parents are pharmacists. And since I was a couple months old, they've been putting together a college fund for me and the rest of my siblings. So for me to turn that down and not go to school, they let me know you're going to have to be serious about this. Um, but it, it was something I doubted too, you know, seeing my brothers go off to school, seeing my friends go off to school and get good degrees. i I live, I know a lot of smart people. <laughs> so I have friends going off to become doctors and lawyers and nurses and architects. And it was, it was hard. There was a lot of self-doubt where I could see my friends when they went off to college in four years, they were going to have something to show for it. In four years, I may or may not have something to show for my business. And I had people who loved me and people who didn't know me give me unwanted advice and tell me, you know, hey, this is crazy and risky. And what the heck do you mean you want to be a professional pet sitter? That's not, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> how can you be a, a professional at that? And also, how are you going to make a living? You're not, you know, you grew up in a nice neighborhood and you're used to certain, a certain lifestyle. How are you going to be able to support yourself doing this? This is a hobby. If that it's not a career, it's not a business. And it took a lot of me having to know myself and know my business and know my market to not let those doubts cause me to stop. But I will say that I mean, that was a big issue for a long time. And the turning point for that is at one point I had just started hiring on a couple of team members and I was super excited because I had finally got someone and trained them to be a manager. So they had taken over a lot of my job and I really wasn't working that much at the time. So I got a part-time job at a local coffee shop that I was at five days a week, regardless. I loved hanging out there. My friends work there. It's the fun social place to be. And I remember talking to my friend who was management. I said, Hey, can I work part-time like 15, 20 hours a week? It would just kind of help me make ends meet right now while I'm paying somebody else to do my job and not working as much. This would, this could be a good in between seasonal kind of fit. And it was great. I loved it. I did it during my off season of pet sitting. And as soon as summer kicked in, I went right back to pet sitting full time and built up more clients and was fine to keep pet sitting. But it was a good in between phase. And while I was working there, there was a grumpy old man who came in and wanted his coffee and we got to chit chatting and I'm always happy and friendly and love I love interacting with the public. It's fun. I, I like the customer service side of it. And being at a coffee shop, God knows you get to talk all day. <laughs> so uh, me and this guy started talking. He struck up a conversation. He was asking what I was doing in school because I was college age. And I told him, you know, I'm not in school. I actually uh, own a pet sitting company and I'm just working here part time. And the lecture I got from this guy 
I'm not an emotional person, but he touched on a lot of fears that I already had. And I was, I was tearing up. I was getting upset because everything he's bringing up. Yeah. It's my biggest fears. What if this business fails? What if I just can't get it to the point where I'm making a decent income and I've spent six years on it and have nothing to show and wind up closing the doors and all I have is a high school education and I'm, you know, I'm so far behind all my peers and you, you run out of, sometimes you don't want to keep having the same fight over and over again. And he was just laying it on thick. He was letting me know that I needed to get my butt back in school. And I was, you know, just a drain on society and I needed to get my head out of the clouds, quit daydreaming and get to studying. And I will never forget one of my clients was behind him in line getting coffee and she not so nicely interrupted him and said, you hold on. You don't know who you're talking to. You don't know anything about this situation. You're making a lot of assumptions. I want to tell you that I want her for clients. She's been taking care of my pets for years. Right now, she's got one of her employees doing it for her. She's here working, but she's got a whole team that works for her. This girl's going places. She's got hundreds of local families who adore her and use her all the time. You do not get to tell her that she's not enough and she needs to be better. She is enough and she's doing great. And she stood up for me and believed in me in a way that I, I wasn't believing in myself. And a lot of times as, as humans and as entrepreneurs, we speak to ourselves in a way that we would not allow anyone else to. I would never talk to a family member or a friend the way that I talk to myself and to have someone who is so far removed from me and just a client that I've met a handful of times be that adamant and that confident in what I was doing gave me a lot of confidence all of a sudden and gave me a completely different perspective. And that's, that was kind of the turning point where I wasn't ashamed and felt like, Oh God, someone's asking what I do. I have to tell them I'm a pet sitter. Like that's, I, I considered that embarrassing for a while. Now I own it. I have an amazing job. It's cool that you're a lawyer. You sit in an office all day and are probably bored and annoyed by it a lot. I mean, I have annoying parts of my job too, but I, it's a great job. I like it. It's way more fun than yours. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, I've had our business for 11 years and yeah, you get that hey, when are you getting a real job? Or, you know, in your case, why, why aren't you going to college? Um, you know, and, and you got some great advice. Like that was like the perfect moment for someone that just happened to be there at the right time to get in your ear and say, hey, she really is doing a fantastic job and giving you that confidence you needed. Um, but one thing you mentioned was, you know, seeking out mentors and, you know, talking to people that really give you good advice. Um, I know listening to one of your interviews, I know you kind of mentioned seeking out those people that are one to two steps ahead of you in your journey. Um, you know, when you were 15, 16 years old, what did that look like? And, and what does that look like now? You know, that you're in the business for 10 years. Cause I know you continuously do this. 
Yeah. So we were talking before the interview about all the podcasts we love, like Pat Flynn, Lewis Howes, uh, Jordan Harbinger. Those are some guys that I have so much respect for. And you can get mentorship and you can learn from people regardless of if you ever meet them. I would love to meet those guys one day. And I actually have gotten to meet Jordan Harbinger. That was really cool. Uh, we had a lot of fun hanging out at a conference in Canada for a weekend. But regardless of if I had ever met him or not, he's given me so much wisdom and so much knowledge by asking questions and listening to podcasts. It taught me from a young age, I can ask anybody a question. One of my biggest mentors was my Taekwondo instructor, Mr. Kim. He was somebody I had known since I was four years old and had studied under him for a really long time. And he has incredible leadership skills. He knows how to bring out the best in people and in a very kind but serious way address problems and people respect them people don't if they might try to get away with something once that's the only time they're ever going to try to get away with something with them and it's he doesn't shame you he doesn't scare you but he demands respect and he demands quality he won't take anything else and He's been an incredible resource. Whenever I was young, I, I hired my first team member when I was 19. I had no earthly clue what I was doing. I had never been interviewed, and here I am conducting interviews. I was in way over my head. So I, of course, went to other local business owners and asked them. I mean, some of these are parents of my best friends. Some of these are people I've known since I was a toddler. These are people that I can easily go to an approach, but also I'm reading Dave Ramsey's entree leadership and studying up on how he does his interviews and Googling and checking out blogs and getting on free webinars and constantly soaking up everything I can. So my advice is if there's something that you need to learn specifically, let's say you just need to learn how to use QuickBooks so you can do some basic accounting, whatever way is your favorite way to learn. If you like to watch videos, get on YouTube. If you want to listen to stuff, find a podcast. If you're more of a visual learner, you know, get on some blogs and watch some, you know, see some step-by-step -step tutorials and how stuff is done. There are so many ways to do it. Or you might have a friend who is already doing this is an expert at into it. Take him out to brunch and say, Hey, I'm going to treat to breakfast and coffee. Can you help me out for like 30 minutes and give me a rundown on how this works? Those are all things that I've done. And I tell you, it's a lot easier to get other people's brains involved in a problem than just wing it. Absolutely. And you mentioned David uh, Ramsey's entree leadership. I've actually, um, you know, been to the conference and it does a great job. And I think one of the things you mentioned when we talked about Lewis Howes and Jordan Harbinger and Dave Ramsey is none of these guys have anything to do with pet sitting, you know, but in terms of business and in terms of, you know, being able to become more well-rounded in your business, you know, the, these lessons translate across. I, I think a lot of times, um, you know, we look for mentors within the industry and, and there are some great ones. Um, you know, Kristen Morrison comes to mind and, you know, among many others, but, um, you know, but I think to your point, you, you can seek those people 
outside of the pet sitting world and get out of that circle because it does give you a different perspective and the skills do translate. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, business is business and pets are pets. If you're wanting to talk animal behavior, what's the best um, leash belt? What's a great treat that's, you know, really good for dogs, all kinds of allergies. There are online pet sitting forums for that. You can go to other professional pet care providers and talk to them about that stuff all day long. But you're really limiting yourself if you think you can only get business advice from this small niche group of businesses. There are business leaders who are giants that it's, it's crazy to, there's no reason to limit yourself. You can get, I get basic business advice from a business professor, a friend of mine. I get accounting advice from my CPA. I have a lawyer I go to for any kind of law needs. Why would I limit myself to just going to other pet care providers and say, hey, how would you write this agreement? I'm going to go to a lawyer. That's his specialty. The you need to pull from other people's strengths. That's why I went to my Taekwondo instructor for leadership skills. I, I never worked with him as an employee boss relationship. That was a coach relationship. And you can, that's, that stuff transfers over. There's no reason to be self-limiting and say, I can only learn from Kristen Morrison. She's amazing. I've learned a ton from her too, but why not check in with Dave Ramsey and Lewis Howes while you're at it? No, absolutely. Because I think, you know, there are many aspects of the business and, you know, when you got into it, when you were younger, I'm sure you didn't think of any of those things, but you know, when you look at like, I I know one you've mentioned in the past Chick-fil-A, right? Like their customer Mm -hmm. service is outstanding. And this is a people business. You're dealing with pets and you walk them or you take care of the cats but you have to deal with people. And I think that's something that um, entrepreneurs that get into this field forget. Like, oh yeah, they're, they're the ones that write the checks, not, not the pet, right? Yeah, for sure. It's one thing for you to just have the absolute best time with this dog or cat and get along with them and be best buds and they just light up whenever you walk in the house to take care of them. But if that's not conveyed to the owner and you're not, absolutely filling the owner in on everything you do and how you're making that pet so happy and keeping it, you know, safe. If there's that disconnect where you're not also providing that customer service to the owner, my rule of thumb is, is the pet and the owner should both be equally happy. If one of them's unhappy, then I'm not doing my job right. But yeah, that is one thing that. I find interesting when talking to other pet care professionals or doing interviews, if I'm hiring potentially a new dog walker or a pet sitter, when people say this is the best job for me because I'm such an animal lover and I just don't like dealing with the public. This isn't the job for you if you're an animal lover and don't like dealing with the public. We deal with the public constantly. I was walking a dog yesterday and a lady stopped and was asking me about the local animal rescue and where it was the best place to drop off a cat tree. And I have nothing to do with this rescue. I, you know, made my best educated guess and said, you know, you probably could drop it off there on site, but they also might have a foster who would just come to your house and pick it up. Either way, I can't answer the question. Here's the phone number you should call. 
But people just assume when they see you as a professional, they're going to ask you all kinds of bizarre questions and they're going to have all these expectations from you. And I, if I'm wearing my company t-shirt or driving my company car and I'm rude to you in person at the grocery store or I cut you off in traffic, that's terrible customer service, regardless if you, you ever hire me and pay me to do anything for you or not. I, we always have to be aware of the message we're projecting and people deserve love and care too. I don't know why we're holding out and just giving it to the pets. <laughs> That's actually a really good message. Um, and you, you make a great point. Like e even if they're not my customer, you know, you represent the company, especially, you know, and we're on video now and you're wearing your uh, company t-shirt. There you go. And, um, you represent the company, right? And especially now in the age of social media where somebody can just whip out their cell phone and say, hey, look at, you know, look at Kath, look at this person from Happy Hounds Pet Sitting and they just cut me off in traffic and now they're cursing me out. I mean, that could destroy your business. And, and this person's not even a customer of yours, right? <laughs> exactly. Or I mean, what if I'm out walking a dog and not that I would ever do this, but let's say I'm pretending I work for, oh, this is bad. I'm, let's, let's pretend I'm working for Rover. I regret saying this already. <laughs> let's pretend I'm a rogue Rover employee and I'm doing something I shouldn't be. And I'm, you know, acting aggressively towards some poor dog in my care. Well, guess what? There's cameras everywhere. I might be in someone's home by myself and unaware that there's a camera, or I might be outside and their neighbor catches me yelling at the dog. Because let's say the dog peed on me. You know, that's never a fun day at work, but we've all had those dogs. Sometimes they go rogue. You, you can never lose your cool. It's all part of the job. You just take it and go with it, and you get cleaned up in a few minutes. Like, there's no, there's never a reason to act like someone's not watching. Someone's always watching, and that's just the way I choose to live my life as well. I'm open. I'm honest. You need to act like someone's watching and behave that way. Don't, don't be rude. You don't live in an isolated little bubble. You're part of humanity and all of your actions have reactions. So be mindful of what you're doing. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And you mentioned Rover and Wag. Right. So, you know, 10 years ago when you started your business, that wasn't an option for you. And maybe if it were, it, you would have went that route. But today you have an established business in two locations. How do you compete with what is in essence a tech company? Right. You know, I mean, let's call it what it is. Um, you know, how do you compete with the rovers and the wags of the world? Well, it's not hard because like you said, they're a tech company and they fall very, very short in customer service. I know there's certain companies do a better job, certain companies do a worse job, but when you have hired a sitter from their platform to do a job and something's gone wrong and you can't get in touch with customer support or the best thing that happens is you weren't charged for that visit and that sitter's taken off the platform. That's not really a good solution. When, when you're allowing someone you don't know to come into your home 
and work there and care for your pets who a lot of people consider their kids, you need to be crossing your T's and dotting your I's to the 10th degree. You need to be going crazy with it. So for me, I, like I, I just put out that I was hiring. Over three days, I got 109 applications. That's a lot of people to go through. You know how many people I hired out of 109 applications? Two. Wow. It's a very intense level of vetting and getting to know them. I mean, first off, we do an on-the-phone interview. I make sure that they even read the application they applied for, make sure they understand what they're getting into, just see if I even want to go any further with them. From there, I send them um, some paperwork to fill out that helps me get an idea of their baseline is as far as where they would fit into the company. Um, I check in with the references. So those are three different steps of screening. From there, we meet in person. And then from there, they tag along and actually work a shift with me where we're going to the homes and meeting the pets. Because that's one thing I learned is you might meet the best people person and they might be amazing, but they might not have the skills needed to work with animals. And that's something you either have or you don't have. I learned the hard way. And you, you just, you go through this process and you do the background checks and you, you work with them and you see how they are. Um, but I've got two amazing people here that are helping me out. I'm super excited to train them. But if you don't go through that due diligence and train them, each of my team members trains with me from two to four weeks where we go and work the jobs together and they know and understand the protocol and ideas and just basic animal behavior. And if, if there's a situation they need to be able to react the way I would without really having to think about it, they just know. I don't, I don't ever leave them hanging high and dry. I always tell them, over-communication is the best kind of communication. Let's talk way more than we need to. Never hesitate to ask the question. I want to make sure you're 100% clear and confident. I will retrain you, but we can't, we, I, you have to have good character. I can't train character, but I can train different parts of the job if we have a misunderstanding. So we are super clear in our communication and just very, very intentional with checks and balances. This is a business where you do put your business in your sitter's hands when you send them out to work. And they all know what a big responsibility that is. And, you know, we all sit around and look at each other while we're, you know, having brunch meetings. And like, listen, if you screw up, you're jeopardizing all of our jobs. We have to hold each other accountable. And there is a no-nonsense policy. And I think that's the problem with Rover and WAG is they don't have that accountability and they don't have that follow up and follow through that makes it, I don't consider them competition. I, they, they can't compete with the services and quality that I offer. Um, but at the time, you know, whenever they first came onto the market, I was super nervous and wondering how in the world I was going to compete with this, but it, it's turned out to be what I'm thinking is a little bit more of a flash in a pan unless they really reassess it. Yeah. I mean, they've definitely had some horror stories on the news and unfortunately it kind of paints the industry as a whole with a pretty bad broad brush, <laughs> you know? So um, I think a lot of what you said 
is the way to kind of set yourself apart, you know, from the rovers and the wags. Now, that being said, um, it's pretty easy to book a pet sit on rover and wag. Um, with your business, you know, you've obviously implemented a lot of uh, systems in place regarding hiring and other things. Um, but one thing, for quite a few years, you didn't even have a software system in place. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. you know, how, like, at what point did you say, like, oh, crap, I need software, or I need some kind of solution that's, you know, going to work? Because I know for me, it was probably three, four years, we were just running a paper calendar and an Excel spreadsheet for everything. So, um, at what point did you come across a solution or, you know, figure that you really needed one? Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly what the exact moment was or the exact change. Honestly, I think at one point while studying business and reading up on it, I'm going to go ahead and probably credit Kristen Morrison. She seems like a likely one to have given me this aha moment where I realized that software was a thing. I didn't realize it existed I was a great millennial. I didn't think about streamlining and adding tech to it uh, until someone put it in front of my face and I was like, oh my gosh, what a game changer. This is brilliant. So I was late to the game, but once I did find out about software, I fully embraced it. And one of the things I'm really proud of in the past um, two years, a good friend of mine, Britt Alvarud, she has created the Handler software and I was one of the pilot companies working with her and working out the kinks and really I had the best job because I had no money at stake and I didn't have to do anything but point out problems and ask for featured things on the app and on the software. So that's the best place in the world to be, to have a whole team of designers kind of at your beck and call helping create this world-class software that both of my companies use and love. But what's amazing about those software is it's the same thing as Rover and Wag. Right before we got on the call, my phone was beeping and let me know that I had two different clients booking appointments for themselves where it's automated and streamlined. They didn't have to call me and have me do it. They did it themselves. And that's the beauty. And that is how I try and compete with Rover and Wag. It's one thing for me to have better service than them, but I also have to have equal convenience. And that's where the handler app comes in for me. And there's all kinds of softwares you can go for. Um, but I'm, I'm going to sing handlers praise because it's, I, I feel very attached to it and it does so much better than anything else I've used in the marketplace. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you. And it's funny because I think you've talked up Handler more than Brit. And I, I had her on a previous episode. And <laughs> you've probably sung those praises even more than she tooted her own horn. Uh, but it is an amazing software. I absolutely agree with you because it, it gives you the convenience of the Rover and Wag with the functionality that you need as a business owner and you can still run your business in a way where you can still have the accountability and the procedures in place that you talked about um, that, that you need to set yourself apart from, you know, a Rover or a WAG. 
exactly. It's, I love it. Britt um, is a wonderful person. She's actually someone I went and visited um, in the camper van when I was out exploring and running around the country. We met at a NAPS conference in Chicago, I want to say three or four years ago at this point, and we've just stayed in touch and several times a year, we'll just hop on the phone for a couple of hours and just catch up because we're friends and we like a lot of the same stuff and we think a lot of the same ways in business and just having that business buddy you can nerd out with is amazing and it makes you feel a lot less isolated and that's a problem as an entrepreneur. You, you feel isolated a lot of the times and not everyone gets your struggles and your goals and your crazy ideas and it's just good for the soul to have another person to talk to and have them get hyped up with you and be like, Oh my gosh. And this <laughs> or, but that and help you think through all these ideas and having Brit to do that with has been amazing for me. And, you know, she was helping me brainstorm options for how I could set up my new company to be its very best. And I was helping her brainstorm ideas of how we could get the handler app to work. So it was a great meeting of the minds where we both had passion projects and things that we were really growing and pushing and needing to see succeed. And just having someone to cheer you on and someone you can just send a quick text to and be like, Oh my gosh, my new business just got its 20th client. I'm so excited. Or, in Britt's case, she's always sending me pictures of one of her animals. She's got a lot of animals. <laughs> Very fun. She's a fun Instagram account to follow, I will say. I think Absolutely it's is. the little brown farm on Instagram will keep you happy and smiling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if I go into my stories, um, there's probably a 50% chance that she's the first one that pops up in the stories. <laughs> so I mean, it's fun stuff. I got a bond with their donkey goose. He came and was hanging out in the house with us at a house party they threw a summer or two ago. And I'm like, what? This is, this might be heaven for me. I'm hanging out in a house full of dogs and cats and a donkey. Okay. This is, <laughs> this is a fun place to be. I'm not sure what's happening, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's well, and it's amazing because one of the things um, you're doing that that she's already done is you're running a business in. Well, she's running her business remotely. Uh, she lives in L.A., but her business is in San Diego. Um, you now have two locations. You have one uh, where you're at now in Chattanooga, and then one in Alabama. Um, you know, how, how do you get to that point? Because I think that's where people struggle. You know, it, it, I mean, even just getting one or two employees and then getting a manager and then kind of stepping away from the business to kind of do all this fun stuff that you've done, which we haven't even really touched on yet. And now you have a second location, <laughs> you know, so talk about how, how that kind of evolved. It started with me having a travel bug and me wanting to get out and see the world a little bit more. Um, there was a couple from my hometown who bought this old fiber stream trailer and renovated it and just took off and were having the best time. They were friends of friends of mine and just me getting to hear these stories coming in about all the stuff they were doing and you know, he's a musician. She, she was a waitress. It wasn't like either one of them was independently wealthy. 
but just listening to how they made it work, um, kind of following their journey introduced me to um, Heath and Alyssa Paget and the RB Entrepreneur um, setup that they have. And I just started listening to Heath's podcasts and these people who travel and work remotely. And it just really got me thinking, okay, I want this. How can I make this happen for myself? And with my business, like I told you before, I really love my business. I like being in the day-to-day operations, but I also like to travel. So I've kind of hit this uh, balance of, I typically work two thirds of the year and travel around the other third of the year. And that can come in the shape of I'm out of town this weekend. I'm home next weekend. I'm, you know, I work for six months. I take off for two months. It, it comes in all kinds of varying shapes and forms, but that's what works best for me. I like those spurts of trips here and there. I typically don't travel for more than three weeks at a time. Just I get a little bit burnt out and I honestly get to the point where I want to be back home and working. I get antsy and cause I, I love what I do. And this is how I strike that balance of keeping it a little bit less of a love hate relationship. I keep it a love and gone relationship. It's I'm here and I enjoy it when it's here, but I also leave and get the chance to miss it and come back. Um, but it's just being curious. I just follow my ideas and passions and see where they go. Sometimes they don't come to anything. Another business I tried and decided I didn't want to do was a, a furniture restoration business. I did it. It was great. I made great money at it. But after doing few months, I realized how much I hated sitting alone by myself doing all this tedious work when it's it's something that I enjoy in small doses but doing it as a career I was like oh no I actually really hate this my back hurts and <laughs> I've been inside for 12 hours so I would need to be out running around doing other stuff yeah and you know it's definitely um, you, you talked about that isolation, right, of, of being an entrepreneur and, you know, certainly a business like that. You certainly have isolation. Um, and I think that's something, particularly in the pet sitting industry, people do suffer from because not only are they mostly around pets all day, they're by, they're by themselves, you know, doing admin work, doing a lot of the other things you need to do to run the business. So there is a huge... Um, isolation component to being an entrepreneur. Um, how, how do you balance that? Because I know one of the things uh, you've also done, you've, you drove around the country in a van by yourself. <laughs> so talk about isolation, right? You know, you could say I was isolated in the van, but it was intentional spurts of isolation for a few days at a time but I was meeting friends and family and following up with business contacts that I made. I actually went and um, worked with and shadowed a couple of other pet care professionals at work in different states and cities of the U S to get an idea and a feel for, you know, different markets and different ways to do business. Cause everyone does it a little bit different with their own flair. And this was, about a year before I was going to be starting my second branch. And I really wanted to take that time to disconnect from my first branch, make sure that it was running perfectly smooth without me. They didn't need me. And 
go explore what other options there are because you can get really single-minded and not realize what what else is out there and so that was great for me to go see these other pet sitters in action and some of them I saw and I decided I don't want to copy any of their model I think I've got it going better on my own but then there were other people that I went and met with and, and spoke to and got to see them in action I was like oh they have some really great ideas I never would have thought of doing it you know this or that like one of the services that I offer here in Chattanooga that I don't have in Alabama is pack hikes those that's been a service that people have loved and done really well in different parts of the country um, so you just you get ideas and you see how other people run their businesses and for me I love seeing how stuff is streamlined and automated and so that was great talking to someone like um, Britt who nerds out about that stuff and she'll she'll send me she's like oh you have to meet so and so from this company or oh you have to meet so and so from here and you know just follow up with those connections and hop on the phone you know email them back and just dig that well of information and pull up everything you can and you're going to pick up some things and decide this is really good doesn't work for my company put it to the side but you never know later on in the future you might think something might be changing in your company something might be changing in your life and you realize oh wait what was that thing that Kathy told me about I'm going to go check that out and realize that it's a perfect fit now yeah and it, it's funny because you talked about you know you're doing some things in Chattanooga that you're not doing in your first branch so like pack walks for example so this was what I found super interesting about your business is, you know, your business in Alabama, Fairhope, Alabama is 15,000 people, right? So it's definitely rural, um, Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, much, much bigger, 10 times the size, you know, one, how did you get to the point where you could kind of walk away from that business and travel and do all that stuff and still make money in a, what is probably a pretty rural market. Um, and then also, you know, now open the second location in Chattanooga and really do something different. And, and, you know, what, talk about the differences, you know, and, and how you were able to succeed, because I do think that's something people struggle with is, Hey, I've got to pay the bills and, it's pretty rural mar market margins are tight. Um, how, how did you do it? Yeah, well, part of it, I will say was a little bit of living in isolation. Um, and in the pet care world since in Alabama, I wasn't as aware I wasn't as plugged in as uh, Facebook has started creating Facebook groups and um, pet care professionals have really taken advantage of that, that really just fueled my growth to be exponential in about a year and a half zone where I went to um, my first NAPS conference and I realized I'm one, I've been in business longer than 80% of the people here and I have almost the smallest business as far as clients that I serve. What 
let's do some some quick math and talk to these people and figure out what's going on and it quickly became evident that I had totally saturated my market in Alabama and while it was doing great it wasn't going to keep growing I had I was coming to more of a slow crawl with my growth there not that I don't continue to grow but it's not going to be exponential because I've already care for so much of the market right so I started thinking and talking and because at first that's discouraging news to realize you have a business and you've reached its potential so that got my wheels turning of this might be this area's potential but I don't want it to be the end of my potential and my business's potential what what's the loophole to this situation um, so kind of stepping back from it and realizing there's people who have multiple branches or multiple types of businesses in the same city. So that's when I started building these relationships and making these contacts and just listening to them and following up with them, listening to their you know podcast interviews and their blogs and just calling them on the phone and um, getting advice from them. And it got me thinking, well, let's, it's the location that's the problem. What if I move to a new area and do the same thing there? And that's where I'm at right now. I'm um, not quite a year into having my Chattanooga branch. And the way the market works here is so completely different than it works back in Alabama, but I'm giddy and nerding out and loving it because it's a new challenge again, finally. I had kind of tapped out my learning potential in Alabama. So coming over here, keep in mind, it's also been a year that has kicked me in the butt a million times, but I've learned and grown and been challenged through it. The difference being the first five years of business, I didn't necessarily believe in myself and wasn't confident in what I was doing and felt like I needed to make excuses and kind of explain what I was doing more to people. These last five years, I am, I, I proved myself to myself. So I'm a lot more confident and I'm a lot more excited and I'm, you always are going to have problems and roadblocks and things that discourage you, but I know I can handle it and get through it at this point. So that's made this new branch such a, a fun move. Not that it hasn't been incredibly hard and you know, pushed me way past comfort zones, but it's that kind of challenge where even though it's hard and you, you really got to fight for it, you know what you're doing. You have that game plan. You have your why you have that target you're shooting for and that makes it a lot more fun and engaging and worth whatever struggle you're having to put up with. Yeah. And you talk about the struggles. Um, and it's so interesting listening to you talk about that because when you listen to other entrepreneurs, a lot of times, especially in the social media, they paint this glamorous story of, all the great things they're doing and the fancy car that they're driving and they don't have a care in the world, but you're pretty open about some of the failures you've had, the struggles you've had. Um, 
you know, you've kind of doubled down every time this has happened. Whereas a lot of other people would just throw in the towel, give up. Um, what, what gave you that perseverance to say, Hey, all right, I'm going to take a different route, you know, and reassess my plan and, you know, be successful the next time. Part of it is I'm just stubborn and I have a vision for what I want and come hell or high water, I can get pretty close to that vision. I might not always reach it exactly the way I thought, but part of the time is you get through the journey of getting there and you realize, you know, that's not quite what I want anymore. I'm going to change it up a little bit and get something. I didn't, I didn't even realize I wanted it this way, but this, this new way is better. This new way is the way I want it and I need it. But it's also calculated risks. Being an entrepreneur isn't like playing the lottery. You, you get to set up the odds and decide how risky of a move this is going to be. For me, I made sure that my manager had over a year of experience running the Alabama branch and being sure that it wasn't going to fail before I came up here and committed to Chattanooga because worst case scenario this this was my thought process before I came to Chattanooga I had made Happy Hound in Alabama my life that was my identity everything I did I reached my goal of hiring a manager and handing everything over to her I became super depressed because I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't have a schedule. I didn't have my normal social life. I didn't get to go to work. And I was really lost because I had dedicated my life to the company for so long and then was no longer a part of it. And so that created a lot of uh, soul searching opportunities in me and kind of getting to get reacquainted with who I am outside of my business and outside of my title of entrepreneur um, which was hard, but I'm, I'm better for it. Those, it was really hard at the time, but I, I like it now. Um, but you know, my, my worst case scenario is my business in Alabama fails because, you know, I didn't train my manager. She doesn't know what she's doing and they get screwed up or, you know, she quits and leaves and there's not someone to cover for her. Or, you know, what if I can't get Chattanooga up off the ground? My worst case scenario that I had many nightmares about is Chattanooga fails, Alabama fails, and what am I going to do? Am I going to be a dishwasher at a restaurant? Like, what's, what's my plan? And um, one of my best friends knew how bad I was getting with uh, that situational depression and kind of kidnapped me for the weekend and got me in a new environment and just, you know, got me talking and was, you know, kind of understanding where I was at and where my struggle was. And she's like, this is dumb. You love working and you're not working. That's a huge part of your problem. Also, if your worst fear is being a dishwasher, go be a dishwasher. It's not that bad. You're, you're a scrappy person. If, if it all goes to crap and you become a dishwasher, you'll be fine. Go face that fear now. So that way, when you go on to take the risk, you already know what your worst case scenario is. And that was a really cool way to work at it. So I did, I went and washed dishes for six months and you know what? I had a blast. I got to listen to podcasts while I worked and I had really fun, goofy coworkers and 
I got a lot of really good free food that I cannot, I'm not a good cook. So having a chef getting the, get snacks from him was incredible, but that was just a great way for me to kind of just look at it and say, okay, I'm going to minimize these risks and I'm going to address my fears. So like you said, I live on a yacht. It sounds glamorous. And in some ways it is. In a lot of ways, it's not. It's a 1985 yacht. It's an old, it's an old girl, but she, she, sometimes she treats me well. Sometimes she, she malfunctions and makes me afraid that she's going to sink. But the reason I live on a boat is because it's really affordable living. I could be spending $1,600 a month on a single bedroom apartment here by the time I pay my utilities and pet fees, or I can stay here at my marina and it costs me 1100 bucks a month. And you, I can consider half of that an investment paying off the boat that I can sell, keep using indefinitely. It's boats, Boats are not investments. Let's be clear. <laughs> Dave, Dave Ramsey would say boats are not investments. The acronym for boat is bust out another thousand, which is pretty accurate, I'll say. But it is cheaper for me to live on this boat for three or four years than it would ever be for me to be in an apartment. And I also wanted some kind of housing that was mobile because I'm going to be planting branches the next few years and I need to be able to move. And I don't want to waste money in an apartment. I that sure doesn't make sense to buy a house if you're only going to be in town for two to four years. So that's why I live on a boat. It's also super fun. Yeah. And after your Airstream adventure, I'm surprised you went that route. But like you said, it doesn't always turn out the way you think it's going to turn out, but it still turned out pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's, it's true. You know, the Airstream adventure, I, I had a game plan. I was uh, renovating the Airstream with my grandfather, who is a whiz, knows construction inside and out, but he wound up having a stroke part of the way through our project and um, is half paralyzed now. So it wasn't an option to have him babysit me and hold my hand and teach me how to do this project that I'd taken on. Um, so after coming to terms with it, I sold it to my friends who inspired me to travel in the first place. So that was really fun. They, they, I went to them because I considered them experts. I had already, you know, read their blogs and seen their videos about them refurbishing and redoing their first trailer. Well, turns out they wanted to redo a little bit bigger of a trailer. So they came and bought mine from me and it was a great win-win situation for both of us. Um, and gave me the funds to do my van trip because that's what I've been planning on doing for two years anyways, just getting out and seeing the world because as an entrepreneur, I worked five, six years nonstop, every shift, every day, didn't take a vacation, which at the time worked for me. I didn't really know any different. Now that I know different, I will make commitments to work for I, I do work marathons. I'll work for a certain amount of time, but then it's over and done and it's time to relax and recharge. And then I'll do another big sprint and get a whole lot of stuff done and relax and recharge. Um, but it was over, it was overdue for vacation. So I just took off and basically played for most of 2018. I, I wasn't really doing much work wise. <laughs> Well, and now you're back working um, and enjoying 
your yacht, you know, with the nice view that you showed me uh, prior to the interview. And, you know, one thing um, you kind of alluded to earlier was Taekwondo. And you are a third degree black belt. So um, I'm sure had that guy in the coffee shop known that, he probably wouldn't have been as harsh with you. Um, but, it, you know, you like to say you're secretly a ninja. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm secretly a ninja. Um, and, you know, that's another thing. It's another skill I get to bring to my business. Um, you know, I teach my pet sitters self-defense. That's something I've, you know, I've taught sitters. I've taught people at different uh, travel conventions and meetups. Um, you know, my little sister and her friends. I mean, that's something that as a woman is near and dear to me to know there are situations in life they're going to make you uncomfortable and feel unsafe and again and it's a matter of trying to minimize that risk and just having the tools you know mentally knowing how to react whether that's just you know screaming and getting other people's attention and involvement in the situation or just deciding no, I'm not going to be thrown into your car. I'm going to fight with everything I have and I'm going to leave. I'm going to continue to live my life apart from you. You psycho, leave me alone. And that's that martial arts has been therapy for me. There's nothing quite as satisfying as having a really frustrating day at work and going to the gym that night and just getting to wail on some punching bags and just work out a lot of angry energy <laughs> that that's been great for me but it was also um a great form of discipline that i got to start in really young and learn you don't get to progress until you've earned the right to progress and you you test for it, you earn it you prove to yourself and to everybody else that you are ready to move on and to keep learning and excelling. And it was just a really, really cool environment that I love. And I still um, try to put myself in as much as I can being up here in Chattanooga. I've recently started going to a karate uh, studio, which is kind of cousin to Taekwondo, but different enough where it's a really big learning curve and I am really bad at sparring in the karate method, but it's, it's like a tongue twister for your brain. It's just, it's really fun because I have this new challenge where it's a lot of little things to think about completely separate from work. And it's a great way for me to turn off my kind of neurotic entrepreneur brain that just wants to kind of spiral into oblivion and drive me crazy. It's easy to turn that brain off when you need your full focus because you're sparring this big dude who's going to smack you upside the head if you're not completely present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that, that would be a pretty good wake-up call, right? Um, so how did that Taekwondo kind of help your business, you know, in terms of, you know, some of the skill sets? I mean, obviously, you know, you're not going to you know, go off at somebody at a meet and greet, but you know, there are business things. You talked about discipline and focus. Um, how have some of those things translated in your business? 
You know, we had the tenets of Taekwondo, we would say, at the beginning and end of every class, and it's courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self-control, and indomitable spirit. And that, to me, sums up the entrepreneurial journey. When we went into class, we agreed um, amongst each other that those were the um, character traits we were bringing to the table. We weren't going to give up. We were going to be courteous. We're not going to hurt each other because this is a sport. You could hurt each other if you decided to be a real jerk and go crazy. You have the tools and the knowledge at your disposal to maim your classmate. But I've never hurt anybody. I mean, I might have accidentally hit you a little harder than I meant to and given you a little bit of a bruise, but I've never gotten a broken bone. I've never had a bloody nose. You know, the only injury I've ever had was a dislocated knee, and that falls on my shoulders because I was doing something a little goofy. I was, I was trying to do some stuff that was outside of what was going on, um, so very much self-inflicted. Um, but you, you go into it, and you understand, like, yeah, there's certain risks we're taking on, but we're going to agree to have each other's interests at heart. And we're going to be courteous and we're going to be respectful. And honestly, I think about each of those tenets in business. You need to be courteous to your customers, to your team. Um, integrity. I have to have integrity to run a business. It's, it's really hard as a boss. You have to have very, very clear communication to prove to your clients and to your team that you really have their best interests at heart. It's really hard to earn trust. It's really easy to lose it. Um, and that's, that's just something that business in America and I mean all over the place tends to really lack. And that's something that's really near and dear to me is that integrity um, and then respect, self-control, you know, kind of fall along those same lines. And indomitable spirit is probably the biggest takeaway. You know, I started when I was four. I'm skinny. I don't have a whole lot of muscle mass, don't have a whole lot of weight to throw around. And especially as a kid, I was very, very short and took me forever to reach 100 pounds. And so I was just the shrimp of the class forever and I really had to be scrappy and be aware and fight for any advantage or hold I could get I had to you know put forth a whole lot more effort than someone who was just a little bit bigger than me had to and that's just something in business where there's no excuse of you know, I didn't come from a wealthy family or I just, you know, don't have the finances right now or, you know, time-wise, I can't make it happen. If you're determined enough, you can make stuff happen. That's where that indomitable spirit comes in where on paper, it shouldn't be doable. But you decide and make a deal with yourself, nobody else. I know it doesn't seem feasible. I know it doesn't seem likely. It seems like the odds are against me, but I'm going to make it happen. And that's what you do. And it's the same, same principle of do it smart, learn 
the strengths and weaknesses of the situation. Make sure you're not putting yourself in, you know, undue risk and undue harm. You know, if you can mitigate it, lessen it. But if you're going to take a risk, go take a risk. What's the worst that happens? You fail. You don't do it. At the end of the day, it's not a big deal. It's okay to fail. I've failed many times. The biggest, best business people in the world have failed. The only people who haven't failed are the people who didn't do anything. No, that's great advice. And I think you've personified that indomitable. <laughs> I can't even say this spirit. <laughs> I can't even say. Um, but anyway, um, you know, one thing too, and we're going to wrap up, but um, you, you've done a lot of giving back. I mean, you've done missions, you've done other stuff, but one thing, you know, that you've done, just how people have mentored you. I know you've mentored young entrepreneurs and, you know, what, what advice, if they were listening to this podcast, would you give a young entrepreneur, 15 year old kid that, that wants to start their own business, whether it's pet sitting service or something else, what advice would you give them? I would say... Your naysayers love you and they want the best for you, but they don't know what's best for you. They know what's best for them. And I am at fault of discouraging some incredible entrepreneur friends of mine in the past, because again, I was trying to encourage them to be safer, to make a, to just wait a little bit to make that choice. But that, what they needed was encouragement. And sometimes the people that you need encouragement from most are going to let you down. We're human. We're not perfect. But you have to be competent and driven enough in yourself to ignore the naysayer. Even when it's the most important person in your life, sometimes you have to be your own cheerleader. And that is incredibly hard. And you can't do that indefinitely. You do need to find someone who's going to be in your corner and help you. So as a young entrepreneur, that's what I did. I went and found people who could help me and encourage me. And sometimes it was people encouraging me in little bitty ways. I had a economics teacher who tutored me in accounting and helped me learn about accounting. And that was her big thing that she mentored me on and made sure I understood the ins and outs of Sometimes it's, it's not a big thing. You don't have to get someone to teach you how to run your entire business. It might just be a, a little, a little ask. Those are the things that are said yes to is when you ask something small and when you come in humbly and you say, Hey, you know, Miss Felicia, you are really great at accounting. I I'm 16 and I have no clue what I'm doing and I don't want to screw this up and I don't want to do my taxes wrong. Could I come over for a little bit and you help me out with this? And she was happy to, she loved it. She was happy to pour into her friend's daughter. And you know, let's say she was busy and said, sorry, I can't do that. Then ask her, well, where, where would you suggest I go and learn? Is there a book? Is there an audio book? Is there another person, do you know, of a, someone who could tutor me? Follow up with more questions and stay curious, stay motivated. But the best way to stay motivated is to create a tribe of people who have goals like you. They could just be another entrepreneur. For me, I have travel friends and I have entrepreneur friends and 
those two groups give me a lot of fulfillment because they keep me inspired and they keep me motivated. And when the absolute worst happens, they're there to say, it's okay. I've been through it too. You're not alone. And that's the biggest thing. You need somebody who's just a little bit further ahead of you to say, trust me, I've been there. I've done that. I did it worse than you did, but here's how I got out of it. And that's really, that's my advice. Find someone just a little bit further ahead than you. And I think that's great advice. Um, so now one other piece of advice. For someone that's more established, but they're burning the candle at both ends and they're feeling that burnout that I think inevitably we all feel at times. Um, what advice would you give to someone that kind of wants to transition their business so that they can enjoy their life a little more? That is a double-edged sword. Like I told you, I fell into a, a pretty bad situational depression when I actually handed off my business because it was my entire life. So I would encourage you to start taking baby steps back and getting a little bit more familiar with yourself. Um, for me, I would start taking some more martial arts classes, making sure, you know, I've got that to do several nights a week. I would, you know, reconnect with some friends and, you know, make a point that we catch up every other week. Um, maybe plan, and this is all for me specifically, I would plan a, you know, a road trip for a couple of days. I would start separating myself from the business and doing things that I love and bring me joy. Because if you all of a sudden hand over your business cold turkey to somebody else, you're going to lose your identity, but also having this chance to step away from your business and dedicate time and energy to you helps you to fall back in love with your business and makes this process a whole lot easier. Even if you just want to get out of business and you're done, do it transitionally. And you might decide, hey, actually, you know what? I really like my business. I'm going to stay in it. I'm just going to come at it from a different angle. And I have, I've got a couple friends who have done that in the pet care industry. They just got insanely burnt out, tried to sell it, couldn't sell it. But over that two years of trying to sell the business and taking such a big step back, realized, I really like this business if I'm only doing it three days a week. And if I get the chance to travel two, three weeks at a time when I want to. And that's for me putting in buffers and also being selfish. It's hard as a entrepreneur to be selfish for your personal life. You get a little crazy and neurotic and go way overboard on your business a lot of times and give it your entire heart and soul and forget that you have friends and family and your own life to take care of. So my biggest advice is, you know, take, get off work when you're supposed to get off work. Don't stay late, you know, start hiring people to take things off your plate and do the things, especially the things that you hate, hire someone else to do it. Don't mess with it. No, get someone else to do it. They're going to do it better than you. They're going to do it quicker than you. It's money well spent, but invest in yourself. Go buy a cup of coffee, a glass of wine, go see a play, go on a date with your significant other, take the time to be a human. <laughs> and 
That is outstanding advice. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times we get so tied up and we, we become robotic and we do forget to take time to be human. Um, so I, I revealed earlier that you're a ninja, but tell us something that people might not know about you. Hmm. People don't know this because this is one of my crazy ideas that I'm currently brainstorming and weighing to see if it's really an option. Only a few people that are really close to me know that I am actively starting to pursue getting my pilot's license that I'm looking at in the next few years, creating a kind of second business as a content creator and doing and just kind of documenting traveling by van, by boat, by plane, just kind of going for the trifecta. I can get there no matter where it is, <laughs> is, is a dream. It's, it's a fun, goofy dream that I had a couple years ago and I've gone and met with some flight instructors and talked to some other pilots on the phone and been looking into different scholarships and ways I can make this happen because it's going to be hard to make it happen. It's a lot of money. And as you said, I doubled down and I've doubled down on my finances for this business. So I don't have a lot of free cash flow. So I need to be creative as far as how am I going to put myself through pilot school and get my license. So that's, that's a fun little tidbit that may or may not happen, but regardless, I'm reading a lot of aviation history and just, just letting it sink in and just stew about it and dream about it. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So, um, you know, I was going to ask what's next for you, but you kind of uh, revealed that. But I think there is one other thing, and you alluded to it earlier, and that's um, growing more locations uh, for Happy Hound, uh, perhaps through franchising. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still unsure if I want to continue to branch or if I would like to franchise. Um, regardless, I probably won't consider franchising a viable option until I have um, five or six branches, at which point I will, um, I'll just decide, do I continue branching the way I'm branching or is franchising the better option for me? And right now I don't have enough information from my own business to decide what's the best call. So I'm just kind of feeling that out. I already have branch three and four kind of in the works on the horizon um, where it's going to be really fun. My manager from Alabama is training someone to replace her job there and she's wanting to create her own branch. And where I am in Chattanooga, I'm going to be hiring a manager and training them to run this branch and I'll go start my own. And that the way I like to do business is I'm the trailblazer. And that's what I told my manager in Alabama. Let me be the guinea pig to start this new branch because I haven't done this in 10 years. And the first time I did it 10 years ago, I did it all wrong. So let's see if I can actually do this right on purpose and then I can help coach you through it. And from there, between the two of us, we can start helping other team members create their own branches. So that's, that's the projection future for happy hound. It'll be kind of up in the air to see, you know, exactly when branch four and five come around, but I'm guessing by 2022, 2023, we should be, in a couple more cities. Awesome. 
and I will definitely be looking forward to that and seeing that growth. Um, so where can people connect with you? If people want to check out my uh, website, I have katherinecockrell.com. That, that's a little bit more related to what we've been talking about today. It's kind of my catch-all for everything from business to insane ideas that I'm trying to figure out how to actually execute to adventures to just thoughts and daydreams. Um, but that's, that's kind of me as an open book online where I've got a lot um, of just kind of ramblings going on and explains my entrepreneurial journey and a lot of my favorite resources. Um, but I also have my business websites. You can go to uh, lettershhpetsitting.com. That'll connect you to both my uh, website pages and you can go through there and check it out and see um, what my business looks like, what our um, you know, mission statement is, how we run, where our heart is. Um, just meet me and my team kind of online. Um, but yeah, through those two websites, you'll find all the social medias and you can go as far down that rabbit hole as you choose. Awesome. Well, this was a fun rabbit hole to go down today. So I, I really appreciate you having you on. Um, Catherine Cockrell, thank you so much for being a great guest today. We'll make sure we post all these links on the show notes. And um, we'll see everybody on the next episode of Pet Care Rockstars. Thanks for being a part. Thanks, Dave. This was awesome. This has been Pet Care Rockstars with Dave Westwood. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the show so you'll be first to hear new episodes packed with tips and tools for your pet care business. And visit our website at PetCareRockstars.com to find out about the Pet Care Rockstars program, our all-in-one solution to get you up and running for your pet care business. To join the conversation and access more great content on your favorite social media sites, just search Pet Care Rockstars.